Hello again, I'm Richard Figge, and this is For Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me again this evening. Tonight's program, at this time of Passover and the approach of the Easter season, a kind of conversation among religions. Tonight's author is the German writer, philosopher, dramatist, publicist, and critic Gotthold Ephraim Lessing, one of the great humanist figures of the 18th century European Enlightenment. If pressed to name his central themes, I would say they are two. Freedom in its many forms, intellectual, artistic, religious, and political. And secondly, hand-in-hand with the first, the great idea of tolerance. Lessing's great friendship with the German-Jewish philosopher Moses Mendelssohn has been called one of the most illuminating metaphors for the clarion call of the Enlightenment for religious tolerance. In fact, Moses Mendelssohn was the inspiration for the central figure of Lessing's last and most famous play, Nathan the Wise, which he wrote in 1779. Tonight, I want to share with you the most famous scene of that play. Nathan is a Jewish merchant living in Jerusalem at the time of the Crusades. The other chief characters include Saladin, the Mohammedan ruler who had conquered Jerusalem, and who appears in the play almost like an ideal king of the 18th century, noble and wise, and a young knight Templar who falls in love with Nathan's daughter. The three great religions are represented, but the pervasive influence is Nathan's. In the following scene, the central one of the drama, Nathan has been summoned to the sultan. Saladin, seeking to find out how wise Nathan really is, asks him, which of the three religions is the true one? The parable, based on a story from Boccaccio's Decameron, becomes an eloquent plea for tolerance in religion. This one is affectionately dedicated to Peter Frenzel and to Barbara, Bob, and Lois, and to Professor William Hammer, who introduced us to Lessing at Carleton College many years ago. Nathan tells his parable. In a time long ago there lived in the East a man who possessed a ring of incalculable worth received from a beloved hand. The stone was an opal which shone in a hundred beautiful colors and which possessed the secret power that whoever wore it, trusting in it, would be pleasing both to God and man. No wonder then that the man of the East never let the ring leave his finger and took pains to keep it in his household for all time. And so it was that he left the ring to the most beloved of his sons and determined that this son in his turn would will the ring to him among his sons who was the most beloved, and that in perpetuity the most beloved without regard to birth, by power only of the ring, should be the head, the prince of the family." And finally this ring came, going from son to son, to a father of three sons, all three of whom were equally obedient to him, and whom he could not help but love equally. From time to time, now the one, now the second, now the third, when each was alone with the father, and the other two not sharing his overflowing heart, seemed more worthy of the ring, which he, in pious weakness, promised to each of them. This went well so far as it went, but finally his dying hour drew near, and the father was perplexed. 
It pained him to wound two of his sons who trusted in his word. What was he to do? Secretly he sent for an artist to make, on the model of his ring, two others, and to spare neither cost nor effort in making them identical in all points. And this the artist did. And when he brought the rings, even the father could not distinguish them. So, full of joy, he calls his sons, each one separately, and gives to each son separately his blessing, and dies. This is the end of my story, for you can imagine what happened now. Scarcely has the father died when each son comes with his ring and claims to be the prince of the house. They search, they argue, they complain. In vain. There was no way to prove which was the true ring. It was almost as hard to prove as it is for us now to prove which is the true faith. Saladin. How? Is this the answer to my question? Nathan. Nay, it is merely to excuse me that I don't trust myself to distinguish between the rings that the father had made so that they could not be distinguished. Saladin. The rings do not play with me. I would think that the religions I named to you were easily distinguishable, even down to clothing, food, and drink. Nathan. Only not so in questions of foundation, for are they not all based on history, written or handed down? And mustn't history be accepted alone on faith and trust? Is it not so? Now, whose faith and trust is one least likely to doubt? One's own, of course. Those from whose blood we spring. Those who from childhood have given us proof of their love, who never deceived us except when it was happier, safer for us to be deceived. How can I believe my fathers less than you believe yours? Or, in the other case, can I demand of you that you should give the lie to your ancestors in order not to contradict my own? And the same can be said of the Christians, can it not? Saladin, by the living God, the man is right. I must be silent. Nathan, let us come back to our rings. As I said, the brothers went to court, and each of them swore to the judge that he had received the ring directly from his father's hand, and this was true, long after he had been promised that he would one day have the privilege of the ring, and this no less was true. Each swore that the father could not have been false to him, and before he could suspect this of such a loving father, he must suspect however much he was prepared to wish the best for them, that his brothers had played him false, and he was determined to expose the traitors and so take his revenge. Saladin. And now, the judge, I would like to hear what you will have him say. Speak. Nathan. The judge spoke thus, Unless you bring your father here immediately, I refuse to hear your case. Do you imagine I'm here to solve riddles, or are you waiting for the true ring to open its mouth? But wait. I hear that the true ring possesses the wondrous power of making its owner beloved of God and man. That must decide. For the false rings cannot do that. Well then, 
Whom do two of you love best? Come, speak. You are silent? The rings work only backward and not outward? Each of you only loves himself? Oh, then all three of you are deceivers, all deceived. None of your rings are true. Presumably, then, the real ring was lost. To hide the loss and replace it, the father had the three made for one. Saladin, splendid, splendid. Nathan, and so, the judge went on, you may seek my counsel, but not my verdict. My counsel is, you take the thing exactly as it lies. If each of you has received your ring from his father, let each believe his ring to be the true one. It is possible that the father refused to suffer any longer the tyranny of the one ring in his house, and certain it is that he loved all three of you alike, since he would not injure two to favor one. Well then, let each one strive to show a love untainted by self-care. Let each one vie with the others to bring the strength of his ring to the light of day. Help this virtue come forth with gentleness, compatibility, with kind deeds, and true piety toward God. And when the stones reveal their magic powers in the children of your children's children, I bid them come again, after a thousand, thousand years before this seat of judgment. On that day, a wiser man than I will sit on it and speak. Depart. So spoke the modest judge. Saladin. God. God. Nathan. Saladin, if you believe you are this wiser promised man. Saladin rushes to him and seizes his hand, which he does not release until the end. I? Dust? I? Nothing? Oh, God! Nathan. What is it, Sultan? Saladin. Nathan. Dear Nathan, the thousand thousand years of your judge are not yet up. His seal of judgment is not mine. Go, go, but be my friend. You've been listening to The Parable of the Rings from Gotthold Ephraim Lessing's play Nathan the Wise. Let me know what you think of it, and if you would like a copy of the text, I'll be happy to share it with you. You can write to me at rfiggy, that's R-F as in Frank, I-G-G-E, at worcester.edu. By way of going out with a piece of music, I might point out that Moses Mendelssohn was the father of Abraham Mendelssohn. Have you heard of him? Probably not. He was a banker and a philanthropist, and the father of the great composer Felix Mendelssohn. Overshadowed by both father and son, Abraham may be best remembered now for his remark, Once I was the son of a famous father, now I'm the father of a famous son. We'll close with a piece from the first book of Felix Mendelssohn's Songs Without Words. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, stay safe. All the best.